Anise, welcome back to Wreck America. Uh, thanks for having me. So how is it going in your world with the coronavirus? Oh, wow. Really interesting. Um, I was actually thinking uh, this morning, I was sitting out on the porch and I was kind of looking around thinking, man, it just, the world changed overnight. Although you can't physically see it, the change has happened. You know, everything will be done differently now. Um, people will probably for a very long time, if not forever, be afraid of that physical interaction, shaking hands, hugging someone's neck, you know, that type of thing, you know. Um, and then the, you know, the business side of it, the economics of, you know, half of our world, if not more than half of the world is in fear right now, economical, you know, financial fear. Uh, it, it, it definitely changed our world and I am definitely trying not to, uh, to uh, be panicked. I'm trying, which is very difficult for me as a drug addict and alcoholic because change is always difficult. Uh, but <clears throat> I'm really just trying to think like positively, what can I do to ensure my family's security and safety and, uh, you know, it's, it's, you know, I also have a really huge opinion about how this all happened and, you know, I have my own theories and then um, at the same time, I'm a little bit angry. I know in the past that I've shared about my son being incarcerated and I have another person in my life that is also incarcerated, you know, and I've, I've seen this, um, live video feed from this uh, big wig over the prisons in the state of Texas. And I mean, just one lie after another, they're social distancing, they're providing 24 hour phone service for them. They're allowing them to phone calls a week. Um, they have medical, they uh, have tests on hand for them. That's all a lie. It's all, it's all bullshit. Yeah, right. So, um, so yeah, I mean, like, it's amazing. Um, in fact, uh, I was talking to somebody in the prison this morning, and they were telling me that a guy was taken out yesterday with 103 fever. Uh, they gave him the corona test and then sent him right back into the unit. Wow. No results. Right. Wow. Um, you know, these guys are bumped like three feet apart from one another. Um, they are not separating them during chow. Some places are getting the, uh, two free phone calls, uh, but not all of them. And then they're saying that their parole staff is doing all this extra. They're not. They're not doing anything. It's bullshit, you know. And um, it's really sad because I just read yesterday that this disease killed a man that was in perfectly good health had no issues, literally got the virus and was dead within days after getting it. So, you know, and you got, the media loves to, um, you know, they love to uh, blow things out of proportion or exaggerate, you know, and honestly, nobody's giving the real facts. You know, you can only, you can't have only 
500 people die from this disease, yet every single hospital in the United States is begging for medical supplies. That doesn't add up. You know, it just doesn't even make sense. Why are we turning Carnival cruise ships into medical ships if we only have 500 deaths or 1,000 deaths, and, you know, because it's a lie? You know, the numbers aren't adding up to the actions that they're taking. So it's it's been a little bit of a, a for me personally, it's a little bit of a struggle. Um, I lost hours from my job. Uh, people will use this time to manipulate situations that best benefits them. And then you have to worry about, you know, the panic and the fear when it really sets in and people really start realizing, you know, their lives are, you know, on the line. And, and you know, that's, it's, there's no telling how this will all turn out. I'm just going to try to have faith through it and stay real close to my family. Right. Now, you said somebody is... Somebody other than your son is, is incarcerated. Yes. It's close, somebody close to you? Is that, is yes. Yes. I seem to, uh, my daughter says that um, I always attract the underdogs. Um, yeah. But I don't think it's necessarily that I attract the underdogs. I just learned very early in recovery that I should always extend a hand um, and be there. Um, with little to no judgment, I really try hard not to be judgmental. There's certain things that I don't, um, I've never been able to do that with, you know, um, I, I have a huge issue with child sex offenders and stuff like that. So I have a, a pretty closed mind or I, I try not to, but I can't, you know, I just, I don't extend out to, to, to people like that, you know, but People who have suffered from drug addiction uh, that are incarcerated as a result of drug addiction and, you know, maybe the acts that they performed while under the influence, I tend to, um, I tend to reach out to be helpful to them. You know, um, I think that's a huge thing uh, all over this country is people don't realize that addiction is an illness. They, they don't. And they don't understand what happens to the human mind, the human soul, uh, spirit, you know, when, once you become addicted or, uh, you just go so far down that pipe that you've cut off every part of your character. So, sure. uh, yeah, so, I hear you. you, you said, you said, um, dealing with, with the virus, uh, as a, alcoholic drug addict, how this affects you differently than maybe someone that doesn't have those those addictions, those issues, how they um, deal with that. How, how is it different for you? My, I have to, I, I want to really kind of keep it on myself, but I'll tell yeah, you sure. that my experience of 22 years in recovery is that most all addicts, alcoholics deal with change very, very different from well, a normal you, person. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, you, you, me, I've just got to like constantly, you know, it's, a, it's about, you know, trying to find the good in every situation, you know, realize, you know, kind of, I, I, I almost have to break it down and analyze it like, you know, what are we going through? How could it affect me? Uh, you know, other than just going, okay, the world is going to change and I'm just going to roll with it. I, I'm not like that. I literally, it makes me very nervous. It makes me very anxious. 
I really question and analyze every part of the situation, whatever it is. You know, like I've already been through my mind, like, what is the government doing here? Uh, you know, what about these people that are homeless and sick? And, and you know, um, why aren't they addressing this? So I really have to um, break things down and try to see uh, how there might be a good outcome if I get in a place where I can't find or even see a good outcome, I have to reach out to other people, um, whether they be alcoholic or not, and go like, hey, you know, I was thinking about this. What do you think about it? You know, so I can try to help myself adjust. You know, um, I'm a very smart woman, but I'm not highly educated. So you know, I, I honestly believe our world is be going to become a lot more technical. And I'm thinking, you know, now like, hmm, I should have, should have, could have, would have done this. But what can I do right now? Um, I, I, just a process that I must go through, you know. And I'll stay up late thinking about it. So therefore, I'll lose a little sleep. Just watching the world, you know, through the news, through interactions that I'm actually having with people um, during the day. Um, I, you know, yesterday I took my grandson to the doctor and I was like walking in the door and I've never in my life been afraid to walk into a doctor's office right. or a hospital. And yesterday when I got to the door to walk in there, I was like, mm, I don't I don't know how safe this is, you know, like, right. what do I do when I leave here? So now I'm like, okay, I got hand sanitizer. I need to make sure I change our clothes as soon as we get home. We were going to the doctor's office, but that's where my mindset was. You like, think so? Precautious, yeah. overly, yeah. you know, the anxiety is definitely there. <laughs> right, right. You find yourself like binge watching the news coverage of all this kind of stuff? And stuff but... <laughs> well, I was, I okay. was, um, but um, you know, after I really sat down and like said, okay, so, you know, they're saying there's only X amount of people that have it. I know for a fact that the prison system's lying or, you know, they're lying about what they're doing. And I know for a fact that these, you know, CDC updates for each county are incorrect because I'm reading news reports that there are 17 people in Galveston County. This was last week. And 19 people in Brazoria County. But the CDC is only showing that there's two in one and five in the other. So I was like, yeah, so they're, you know, but at the same time, they're on there going, our hospitals are overloaded. We don't have enough medical supplies to fight this. Uh, we're working around the clock. These doctors and nurses are worn out. I'm like, yeah, these numbers aren't adding up to what they're telling us. So I had to stop myself and go, you know what? I need to sit still and sit back and stay close to my family and only leave this house when I need to and remind my kids this isn't a joke. There's a reason that they're making this as scary and as fearful as they possibly can. There's something, you know, going on we probably will never know the truth about what's really going on other than, you know, basically they, you know, basically there are human beings that are going to die now and it's going to be on a large scale number. And that's going to be really sad because their loved ones can't even be in the hospital with them when they're dying. So 
uh, it was, you know, just to get back to the, you know, going into the doctor's office, like it really plays a long time. So I'm not binge watching any of that new stuff. I go once a day now and I'm checking the numbers. Uh, I may watch a few news articles. I try to hone in mostly on where I'm from uh, because my dad is still there and he is older, although right, he's a right. very healthy older man. But I yeah. have siblings in other states. Right. And, uh, you know, and of course, what's going on local. Um, but right. no, I'm not. I'm, I'm, you know, actually, before this interview, I was at, uh, watching uh, Winona Earp. <laughs> yeah, so like this, you know, like my good old gunslinger, modern yeah. day, uh, yeah. you know, female defender of the world. So, go for you, go for you. yeah, so well, what about meetings? I mean, how are you, how, I mean, in light of what's going on, I mean, uh, how are you, are you doing Zoom meetings? Are you, are you making, you know, what, how you, what are you doing on online? Um, I actually got an invite for a Zoom meeting. There's, uh, for me, honestly, I don't like those uh, like closed meetings like that, uh, where it's just certain individuals that are logging on. I would much rather go out and just, you know, AA meetings and just whatever I can find like might look interesting, whatever the topic is. Um, but I also stay very closely connected with people that are in my, you know, in my support group that have been a part of my life and we've been doing a lot of constant call back and forth and um i read a lot i, I pay attention to a lot of not just recovery type uh, uh things that you know to motive be motivating and positive but also just you know any kind of spiritual messages that you know kind of stick out to me I, i'm one of those people that uh I think I kind of follow where my heart says that sounds good and that sounds right and that sounds honest and kind and I need that in my life today so let me let me follow that um it's you know at 22 years I don't feel like I'm still drowning on a bottle um but I do have to do that spiritual maintenance mm -hmm. and um I have I actually have one sponsor that I've had on and off for years and He's got enough turmoil going on in his life for the both of us. <laughs> right, right. You know, I'm st I'm still making the meetings at the Bay Area Club. Yes. Um, yeah. They, they, I, 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 went, I went yesterday. I went at uh, 11.30 and then I went at, um, at 5 o'clock. They have them. Now, it's closed, but they have those, like, three groups. I know the, the, the 11.30, the 5 o'clock, and 6.30 uh, people are meeting on the patio and on the lawn and they break right. up they break up so i i still been going i mean they're, they're, they're and they're smaller but people come off there everybody sits you know 10 feet apart right. and they they clean the chairs before and after and people are like man you shut the club down but you can't stop us from coming you know at least they haven't tried to stop them right. from, from, from coming so I, I i still go I, I still find it you know um you know because i i i just you know, I don't. I don't like the, the, the like. I don't. I don't really like the Zoom. I, I like to you know be right, uh, more you know. personable. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Oh, I, I, yeah, absolutely. I don't. I don't I can't feel it. Let, let me share something with you. Well, you uh, know, the only uh, thing I would say, I don't want to make any uh, meetings like public like that right now because, um, you know, they still aren't giving us a real direct answer on 
how this thing is transferred. We obviously know that if you come over and cough on me and you got it, I'm going to get it. But they're saying that it could be two to 14 days before you show any symptom. So with that being said, you know, I have babies that live in my home. And oh, I got you. I got you. I don't, you know, like I said, I took my grandson to the doctor yesterday. And the reason he went to the doctor was because he has severe allergies. And, the, you know, he, the only place he's been right, is sure. two daycare and, day, and home. And daycare said, hey, you know, we need a letter from the doctor stating that he is, these are allergies or we can't let him come back. I was okay, like, no right. problem. I understand. So, you yeah, know, you, got, yeah, you, you can you be got, exposed and not even yeah, know you're yeah. being exposed. Yeah, I and I, I don't want to put myself at that risk. Yeah, and you have children, so I, I, I don't have that, you know, you have to take those precautions that, you know, it's just my part. Right, my, right. Yeah, well, so, and I would recommend those precautions to anybody. And I have been uh, seeing, uh, I haven't really read into too many of them. Uh, because once I start reading that Google news, I'll just keep going. So I've kind of, kind of restricted myself, you know, like once a day. But I have been seeing um, a lot on the Google news about what AA and 12-step recovery programs are doing to ensure that they are, um, that they are uh, within that guideline of the, you know, six to 10 feet apart. Make sure you sanitize, wear face masks, wear gloves, um, all that stuff, you know. Um, so I have been seeing that, you know. I've, I've never had a problem finding recovery. Uh, when I was about, uh, let's see, two years sober, I moved to an area that I didn't know anybody. And uh, I had a brand new baby. And uh, uh, well, I'll say brand new. She was Oh, I was only about a year sober when this happened, but she was about a year old, eight months, nine months old, somewhere in that area, and moved out to an area that I really didn't know anybody. My intentions were, you know, I would just drive back and forth to my home group, which was only 30 minutes away. But about a week after I moved out into that area, my car broke down. And there I was. I didn't have a home phone. Uh, cell phones weren't real big at that point in time. I ought to tell you how old I am. <laughs> right. <laughs> but I mean, uh, well, I mean, they were just now becoming popular. They like literally were just now becoming popular. This was 22 years ago. So, you know, um, 21 years. But uh, I, I did have computer access, you know, in my house. And so I would uh, go online and um, I just looked for recovery, you know, even if I didn't do anything but read my books and, you know, try to do my meditation, and I've never been 100% perfect at any of this, but anytime I've ever had an issue rise or, or rise up or, you know, maybe I found myself in some kind of a um, emotional hurt or pain, I've always been able to open my books, and I feel like and my experience is, is that I've always opened the book to the right page, almost like it was divinely put there for me. Like, here you go. Here's what you're going through. This is what you need to do. You know, now go do it. So um, finding recovery in this coronavirus is not an issue for me so, at all. Gotcha. Well, so let me ask you this question, Teresa, of that. Um, with... 
I, I guess in two terms of the steps you're taking and how you're responding to to it um, in terms of, of um, uh, given addictions and, and, and your, your, your um, predilections, if I can use that term. Um, uh, but what about, what about issues of control? And, and feeling out of control or and having to acknowledge that we're not in control um, as, uh, because of this. How, how, how are you dealing with that? I mean, how, 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 does that, how, does that, how does that twist you? Because, you know, part, part of it is we want to be, in, we, you know, this makes, this makes, you know, speak for myself, we want to feel like we're in control. We want to, we want, we want to do these, take these precautions. And, and a sense in which, while that's important, yes, but, but also, doesn't that doesn't that feed into this idea that somehow we are in control when we when we have to know we're not in control, right? And what, what do you do with that? Uh, well, I think that's where the anxiety comes from because deep down inside, I know that I have no control over the situation. Um, so, uh, of course, that arises with a lot of questions like, you know, what am I going to do now? How do I fix this? Where do I go? You know, especially the job thing. Uh, being on my own without really any kind of family support or a spousal support or, you know, a, a team of, you know, uh, financial people around me, uh, you know, living that day-to-day blue-collar worker life, making it from paycheck to paycheck, it's it very, you know, it really, really scares me. Um, but, um, and that's usually where my control comes from. The fear sets off all this other stuff. Fear is that evil corroding thread. If I allow myself to get into fear, then the manipulation, the control, the, you know, even become irresponsible or uh, try to be superior in a situation, that, that's where those uh, defects come from for me, um, is definitely from the fear. And um, I, I got to kind of go back to that sixth step in the uh, recovery program, you know, that actually talks about that, you know, um, it talks about those seven deadly sins and how we naturally want to survive, you know, but that, you know, I'm an extremist in those areas. I go beyond and above in, 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 and it can be destructive, you know, it can actually be destructive. So, um, for, funny that you would ask me about that because um, I learned very early in life, even when I was a small child, um, that when I felt out of control on the inside, I had to do something physically that I could control. So I have this thing about housekeeping. <laughs> and funny but I literally will clean the house from the ceiling to the floors everything gets washed and dusted and the creases in the corners and every it, it's amazing um it makes me a great housekeeper but it's uh it's that OCD type of thing like it's got to be perfect I have to have that instant gratification you know my car will get detailed the kid's gonna get bathed and the hair's gonna get groomed and, the house is going to be perfect and all the laundry is organized and separate. So I find things. And then when I run out of those kind of things, uh, I'm also an artist. That artistic side will come out and I can, I can really draw some of the prettiest 
most beautiful pictures that you've ever seen when I'm in that place. Um, just because it is, it's like a, uh, it's a, 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 like a relief. What is that place? What is, what is that place? Mm, that place of, to me, it's like, I would have to say like a darkness because there's no telling what can come from it. You know, it's kind of like being blind in the dark and, mm -hmm. and, you know, being a little lost. It's like, I don't have the answers. Um, I can't change anything. Um, and, and for me, um, I have to be real careful of that because, you know, depression will kick in. I'll, I'll want to sleep, not face the world. And, and so for me, it's a dark place. It, it's not a, it's not a safe place. Um, I've slipped into that dark place a couple of times in my recovery. I, I stayed there in my addiction, <clears throat> but, uh, a couple of times in my recovery, I've been there and actually didn't even know I was there until it was all over. Um, but through, you know, through some counseling and some therapy and, you know, learning about myself and what's good for me and what's not good for me, I've learned, I've got some tools to work with, you know, so that I don't flip off into that dark place. Um, the other part of that is that I have a really, um, good people who love me, who aren't afraid to say, Hey, you know, you're, you're sleeping too much or you're not eating right or, uh, you know, you're being real obsessive about your house and, uh, you know, they'll point it out like what's going on with you, you know, that question right there. And then I have to think about what's going on with me. So, um, I haven't been in that dark place in a long time. Thank goodness. Can I ask you what, what happened when, when you said this, this, you learned early on that when things were out of control, you had to do something to, uh, these are my words, but kind of compensate by taking control and, and doing things externally, right? So, so you can you know, feel it. Cope. So, cool, cool. so can, can, can you share what happened when that started? Uh, um, no, can you go there? I think, yeah, I think like the, I, I'm not really sure when I learned it, but I can tell you, like, I remember being um, maybe like, I don't know, five years old. I might have been five, or maybe not quite five yet. Uh, you have to know that I grew up in a home that was, you know, parent absent, bounced from babysitter to babysitter. Uh, you know, there was a lot of drug addiction and alcoholism uh, around me growing up. And a lot of really strange, messed up characters. Uh, my mom is, you know, she wasn't the most stable mother. So, uh, but I'll, I remember being, um, the first time I can really remember it being, things being chaotic in my little four or five-year-old mind. I, I really want to tell you I was about five at the time this happened. Was it was a, a Christmas time. And, um, there's a big chunk of my life missing from three to five. I, I'm not sure what happened in there, but I, I know one day we were living in what they call a shotgun house. It's uh, two houses that are built together. Right. Uh, and they may share a door in between. Um, they both have their own back door and front door, but it's uh, there's a door in between the houses. Uh, my mom's friend lived on one side. There was 
a lot of craziness going on in our life at the time. My mom wasn't always around, and um, the little kids that we lived next to, there was a boy who was a little older than me, was very mean. Uh, my sister was partly in the picture. I don't really know uh, where she was. I think she was with my grandmother. But it was me and my younger brother, and, and it's very spacey in there. But I remember it being uh, around Christmas time. Um, well, let me let me back up. Uh, shortly before Christmas, I'm not real sure. Uh, the there was something. Uh, one of us kids got into something or ate something we weren't supposed to eat, and we were all in trouble. And we were lined up in the kitchen, and uh, we were going to be disciplined. And um, all of us were going to be disciplined if the one person didn't step up. And of course, nobody stepped up. So uh, my mom had this method of, um, she would put a butter knife on the stove and she would get it hot. Mm. And, uh, you know, like it would be red hot, you know, and then she would walk over and say, are you the one that did this? And, mm. and if you said no, she would say, well, if you didn't, then your tongue's not going to get burnt. And she would put the uh, knife on your tongue. And mm. uh, so um, mm. I got burned for mm. something I didn't do. Mm. And, um, mm. and I remember that, you know, like, so when you're little and you're just, trying to figure out how not to be in that line <laughs> you come up with very creative ideas on how to um, control a situation like I never went in the kitchen without permission I never opened the refrigerator without permission um, the little boy uh, he um, he actually stabbed me in my wrist in, or while we were washing dishes you know I'm standing there on a stepladder or a chair and, um, He's uh, rinsing, I'm washing, and he gets mad because I'm not doing it right, and he stabs me in the arm, you know, so then I, I never want to be on the soapy side of the sink again, so I, I was like, I'll rinse, I'll rinse, you know, you can, you know, just those types of things, but um, then Christmas came along, and you have to know that these, uh, these areas of my life growing up, they're very, um, they're very gray, and blurry because a lot, right. you know, a lot of it just, I naturally just somehow blocked sure. it out. Don't, sure. you know, I, I think it's a self-defense mechanism. Right, um, of course. And uh, so it was like Christmas and, and uh, I remember my mom being around and she had that uh, talk about, um, you know, I can't buy you Christmas, Santa Claus isn't coming. No, you got to know that when you're five years old and you've been told your whole life you better behave or Santa Claus isn't bringing you presents, all of a sudden your mom's telling you you're not getting presents from Santa Claus, your whole world crumbles underneath you because you don't know. I mean, and that sounds really ridiculous, but you have to think about how much a five-year-old magnifies Santa Claus and Christmas presents under the tree. And uh, she was like, uh, you know, and, and not, this isn't verbatim, but basically we weren't getting Christmas and we weren't going to be decorating for Christmas because my mom couldn't buy a Christmas. So yeah. my little self goes out, you know, later that afternoon and, uh, you know, Charlie Brown Christmas was playing on TV then. And, yeah. uh, the Peanuts Christmas. And uh, I went out into the woods and found a pine cone 
a pine a pine tree branch and nailed it to a board mm. and brought it into the house and told my mom look we have a christmas tree now and uh i think that's when i figured out that i could externally do something like physically do something that would make situation better and i'm still like that today to this day i am a i'm a fixer let's make it organized let's make it nice let's make it beautiful you know even if this is a hard time and we're struggling it doesn't have to be that way you know um can we make it fun um you know, when my kids were, uh, I was a very young mother, so I was a poor mother. My first, you know, pretty much the whole time, all of my children were growing up. But my first two kids, I was really, really poor and, and very uneducated and not very knowledgeable. Now, I remember being like, they didn't really have a lot of toys or anything. So, you know, like, I know a fun idea. Let's do this. And then we go jump on my bed. You know, there I was in my, you know early 20s late teens not 18 19 years old and you know let's jump on the bed <laughs> so yeah i was a fixer i'm a fixer that's what i do so wow. that's, that's where that comes from wow. thank you for sharing that story that, that, that experience you you describe yourself as a fixer i get that but it also sounds like you're you learned early how to be creative and make abundance out of scarcity i think so i think so um there have been some times in throughout my life that the scarcity became so much it became too overwhelming that i had to uh i basically broke down um you know i've talked about this before um killing those demons inside of myself um, i truly believe that's where that alcohol and drug addiction, you know, that was probably the most creative thought I had and it damn near killed me, um, literally. Yeah. Um, it, because I couldn't fix it, because I couldn't find that um, unique um, expression that I have to just, you know, let's make the best of it. Um, I, I, I did, I, you know, there came a time where I just became so tired and so weak and so overwhelmed um, and that's not something that's um, happened to me in re in recovery because I, I tell you I've been through some shit in recovery, <laughs> but uh, but it but it hasn't that hasn't been the um, that hasn't ever been the solution for me in 22 years. Going back to drugs and alcohol has definitely not been the solution. So I guess the abundance that came from the scarcity of almost dying from my disease literally out my own hand um, was enough to keep me going, hey, you know what, you better find out a better way to do this. You better figure it out. Um, and uh, I think I've shared this with you before. Um, I was raised in recovery by women who just do not lay down. We don't lay down. We just don't. You, you just keep standing and, and, and try to really have the faith that your God is bigger, you know, whatever your God looks like. Um, for me, I've got a lot of God, so I'm good. <laughs> mm, wow. Thank you. Uh, one final question for you, um, about right here. Um, uh, and really, thank you for, for sharing that, that, that experience uh, from childhood. Uh, 
what about taking in in this situation um, as a way of of not not getting down, not laying down? Uh, what about um, the capacity to not take yourself so seriously? Uh, well, I mean, how does that work for you? Oh, uh, well, I'll tell you a story. Um, <laughs> So okay. the true story, um, probably, mm, let's see, my son is 19 now, and he was probably around two, and uh, uh, my husband and I were separating, <clears throat> and, um, you know, he wasn't being very cooperative and helpful with our children. I had gotten this job in Houston and I lived out, you know, further toward Galveston area. Mm-hmm. And uh I, you know, drive back and forth every day in a borrowed car trying to make ends meet. Got all these kids living in a one room apartment. And I had to dress up for this job. You know, nice dress and you know dress suit or dress skirt and jacket, you know, with high heels and one morning I got up and it, I was just so overwhelmed and, you know, stressed financially and stressed emotionally and trying to figure out, you know, what, what do I do now? And, um, I drove all the way to work. And when I got to work, I realized that I had on a pair of, uh, pink fuzzy slippers. I had forgotten to put my dress shoes on. <laughs> it's a true story. <laughs> And, uh, you know, we're getting ready to go into our morning meeting and we had like this little meeting area, but before you got to the meeting area, there was a kitchen with a bar that you could see into the meeting area. So I went in the door and I went straight into the kitchen and I called my boss and I said, Hey, before we start the meeting, can I talk to you about something really important? She was like, sure. And she came in there. And she, you know, she's just making eye contact because she can tell that I'm just like really, I'm, you know, there's tears in my eyes because I just uh, uh, fear that I'm about to lose my job over this slipper situation. <laughs> and uh, I, I looked at her, I said, um, I don't know what to do about this other than to go back home. And she goes, what's wrong? And I said, well, I just drove all the way here and I looked down and I said, and I don't have any shoes to wear. And she looked down and seen those pink fuzzy slippers on my feet and she just busted out laughing. (laughs) And I just busted out crying. And uh, she said, girl, you better learn how to laugh at yourself sometime. (laughs) And, uh, you know, I... I, for the first, I mean, that was one of the only times in my life I actually felt like a normal human being. (laughs) There I was, bawling in tears. She said, look here. She said, dry your face. Go home and get your slippers. We'll be here when you get back. And I was like, I'm not going to lose my job. She was like, no, you're not going to lose your job. She goes, that's the best thing ever. I actually make meetings with that lady uh, today, and wow. she often looks at me and just laughs, <laughs> and, uh, you know, like, so, uh, you know, and I'll tell you uh, that, that, you know, I had to learn, I really had to learn how to look at myself differently, because 
forever I would drive these really shitty junk cars everywhere, you know, and um, constantly struggling with car breaking down, car won't start, got to buy new parts for this car, got to trade it in and get another piece of junk. And I did this for years. And I actually shared this uh, with her, you know, and, it, and and the story about the slippers is what changed my mind. You know, I, I decided uh, probably about five years ago, like, you know what, I'm going to buy myself a nice car. I don't care if I got to make that damn payment every month or not. I mean, like, who does this to themselves? Like, literally, I was terrorizing myself with these junk cars that I was buying. And um, I told her, you know, like, I went out and bought myself a nice new Camaro. I said, I really had to remember that what do normal people do? They go, yeah, you got to get into debt so you can have a nice car that's dependable to get you to and from that job that you really want to keep that you can't keep if the car's breaking down. So you just have to break things down like that. And I have to laugh at myself when it takes me that long to figure it out, you know. Um, and, and, and it doesn't take me that long anymore. But the slipper story is, is part of the reason why that is. So, yes, I do laugh at myself um, a lot. Um, but at the same time, I, I try to be real about what's going on around me and in this world and in my life. Well, Lise, thank you. We're, we're going we're gonna to end today on, 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 that's the message for the audience. Uh, pink, funny, pink, fancy. Pink, Pink fuzzy, fuzzy slippers. <laughs> yeah, everybody needs a pair. You know, I went to jail. Hey, let me tell you, I went to jail on those pink fuzzy slippers. I went to jail on those slippers. Let me just tell you that. So, when the shit is the fan, find, your, find yourself some damn pink fuzzy slippers. That's right. Yeah, they make everything one better. Okay, that's that's. That's what we're going to end on that note for the day, okay? How so thank, you, thank you, Anise. We'll, we'll, we'll talk again soon, okay? And you, thank you, you for having me. With the virus, you, you, you hang in there and, and do your thing. And hey, I've got me some pink fuzzy slippers. Don't worry. All right. All right. Stay safe. All right. <laughs> you too. I'm going to thank you. All right. We'll talk. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.